Pigskin PK brought to you in part by Zero Res. When you get the carpets clean, get them Zero Res clean. Don't have it any other way. Just $33 per room cleaned. You deserve the best. You deserve Zero Res. Schedule with Zero Res today at 801-288-9376. Or schedule online by searching for Zero Res Carpet Cleaning. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're broadcasting live from the Ogden Country Club. Chamber of Commerce weather. Blue skies, temperatures in the low 60s right now. It'll heat up later today. Of course, all this was orchestrated by Jay Hill. He does, he does control a lot of things here in Ogden, including the weather for Weber State Golf Tournaments. Coach, good morning. That's a pretty amazing deal, huh, to control everything and the weather. <laughs> nice. You are powerful. Yeah. I like it. It is a beautiful day today. Good day for golf. So, I am curious here, uh, you were, as you sat down here, you were chatting a little bit about injuries, which is a topic we were talking about earlier. You know, there is a lot being made in the NBA playoffs of how many stars are injured. And a lot of people want to put it on, well, they're playing so many games in such a tight period. The best teams like the Lakers had a short turnaround from the end of the playoffs last year. And I brought it up with PK this morning. It seems like every day we do the uh, what is trending. And in baseball, what is trending is injuries. Mm-hmm. Syndergaard just got shut down. And somebody else is out for six weeks. And it's just nonstop. And then you sit down and said, getting guys ready for a spring season in the winter was tricky. And you think that might have been a contributing factor to some injuries. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because we, when, when we let our players go for Thanksgiving, so this was November 24th, when we let them go, I couldn't even see them again until January 11th. Couldn't, couldn't do any workouts, no nothing, until January 11th. And then we got to be ready to start what was spring camp, January 29th, full practices mm-hmm. going. Tw- and and that's you don't even have three weeks to get your guys in shape, get them ready to go. And so uh, it did. It mounted for us. It's mounting right now in the professional sports. It, it was such a weird year. I'm, I'm hoping we're back to normal come fall. So you played your six games, Jay, and now you got 97 days before you line up against the Utes. Is this off season, however long it takes before you get back together, is it going to be any different compared to the normal off season that you would usually have? Well, right now, no. Uh, I, I think as much as possible, we're trying to make this as similar as a normal summer as possible. Um, I actually just left a morning workout this morning, so our players are back on campus right now. They're working out. They're running and lifting. Um, I'm hoping that we are completely back to normal for the rest of this summer and then fall camp. So do you think that the, there is something to the everything you do over the course of not just the season of the camp, but the three, four, five, six, seven months leading up to it are all critical to be able to get through the season healthy? Absolutely. The, the year... The calendar is now a full year, and it's it's a process to get these guys healthy and ready to play and get them banged enough to where they're used to the contact. Because if you go out there and you just you don't practice, you can't keep them healthy. If you don't bang, you can't keep them healthy because the body has to get used to that. So there's got to be enough banging that that you can keep them healthy, but not so much that you're creating injuries from the practice. And that's a new deal. The NCAA just came out with the new practice schedule for fall camp that's drastically reducing the number of days that we can be in full pads and can have full contact. Yeah, I saw that. So are you comfortable with that? 
no, I think most coaches voted against it because we would like to have a little bit more freedom on how we're going to do that ourselves within our programs. And the NCA is restricting, you know, a lot of those contact days. I don't think it's far off of what we normally would do, but now we have seven days mandatory and helmets only where before you only had three. And, I mean, there's some big differences now that are occurring in just, you know, how we can practice and how much we can hit. Uh, I would rather be able to just gauge my own team on where we're at and, and not have the rules so strict. You know, I know when uh, we had you on before your spring season started, we started doing the math, and I forget what it was, but you had it like we could play 25 games in the next 50 weeks or something. Now, ultimately, it doesn't work out that way because of how far you progress in the playoffs because you didn't play the regular season game with Cal Poly. They shut their season down. So do you think these games that were played in the spring – are going to be too much when you add the games in the fall on it? Or was the spring season short enough, it's going to be okay? It's going to be okay. Yeah, there's no way we can use that as an excuse. The only thing that came about was you have a few injuries. Like we had a knee injury on our last regular season game in the spring. We're not going to have that kid back till midseason. Where had you not played that season, who knows, maybe he doesn't get hurt. Maybe he would have got hurt in the spring game. You never know. I mean – it, but the timing of that would have been no different than if we had a spring game. We finished one week later than like the University of Utah who went through a normal spring practice. It wasn't that much different. How do you think the one-time transfer rule is going to affect your level of football? You know, that's uh, an interesting question. I don't know. Uh, I think there will be some players with opportunities to move up and some players to move on, but I don't think it's going to be drastic. Last year, there were 99 FCS players that got taken by FBS programs. 25 of those guys end up being full-time starters is all, and 46 of them never saw the field of the 99. And so I don't think you're going to see an enormous trend of our guys bumping up bouncing around I, I just I don't believe that um, but you never know so as a coach I hear you quote those numbers and I just feel Jay like you've had to have that conversation with a parent or a high school coach or the kid himself and so you prepped and you got all the info but I wonder how many how much of this is driven by specific conversations and how much all this is driven by a bigger more kind of general feeling on the part of a player or his parents or the the high school coach, whoever's advising him? Well, I think it's all of our fears in today's world that if things aren't working out, you just, you move. You you find a new job, you go do something different, things aren't working out, going exactly the way you had planned, so you move on. And unfortunately, that's trickling down to the players. If things aren't going exactly their way as a freshman or sophomore, they're wanting to move on. Flip, when I was playing in college football, very few players played early in their careers like that as freshmen and sophomores. You had to go into a program and work and claw and dig and earn your playing time. You weren't just given it. And now these kids, at the first sign of trouble, a lot of them are wanting to leave and get re-recruited because they like being recruited. And uh, I just don't think that that's the process for success. If you look across the country, how many of these transfers are truly going to the next school and playing a lot better than at the school they were at. Uh, I just don't see that. You know, for a couple elite quarterbacks like the Justin Fields and a couple of those guys that have done it, I mean, everybody knew that those guys were good enough. Uh, But it's not working out that way for the majority of them, in my opinion. Okay, so you talk about maybe 
from your level, kids won't go up, so to speak, to the perceived higher level of football. I'm also wondering, sometimes your level gets kids who come down, but now with the free transfer, how do you think the flow of that will be? Because now they don't necessarily have to come down where they could be immediately eligible to play at your level. They could stay at their level that they were originally recruited to. Do you see where I'm going with that? Yep. No, PK, you're very smart on this subject because that's what's going to affect us much more. That's what's going to affect us much more is we used to get those transfers that could drop down to FCS and be immediately eligible. And so we'd get those kids with two years left that hadn't played yet in their FBS programs drop down and, you know, be pretty good players for us. Now my thought is the majority of those guys are going to try to move laterally first. And if they can't, then they'll come down to us. Um, So I do think that that scenario is going to affect us much more. Now, we at Weber State were not a big transfer program. I wasn't taking a bunch of them. I've kind of always felt that the majority of the guys that are transferring are transferring for a reason. Either they weren't good enough, they're bringing some baggage, or something was going on. The majority of them. Now, sometimes you get a transfer and they're phenomenal, but uh, we, we just have not got into that market too much. Yuck, you got that cut up for a drop there? PK, you're very smart. I think Jay just set himself up right there. I know. I, I, I saw the I didn't reaction. hear what he said. Could, could you say that again, Jay? <laughs> no, but really, I mean, that's the, you're right. That's probably going to affect us more than, say, the other things we were talking about. Jay Hill joining us, Weber State football coach. We're at the Ogden Country Club, and they're getting ready to tee it up here, golf tournament to uh, – Raise some money, support the Wildcats, and get all the Wildcats together to have some fun and get the energy all revved up and pumped up. And Jay is grinning. We remember you last year. It was right there. Yeah. Uh, Gripping that driver and just smacking that ball 300 yards down the middle of the fairway. I can get lucky every once in a while. (laughs) (laughs) I I love this sport because it's so freaking hard, but I can't master it for some reason. So. It's because you're coaching too much and not playing enough golf. You're right. <laughs> we just right. cut to the chase. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> if you were golfing four days a week, you're on the uh, Lavelle schedule. Yeah. You know, you could change it. I, I wish I could do that. Someday, maybe. Someday. Yeah. So I'm curious how much your life is about to change here because we've heard coaches talking about, well, recruiting is so different in the pandemic. It's Everything's a Zoom. We've had to learn how to set up campus tours, uh, some tapes, sometimes doing them live with coaches Football, you have a bigger staff. Basketball coaches have guys running all around campus with their phones and all that. But you're about to go old school and, and be allowed to go back out on the road. Well, and we need that. The, the, it, it's, it's what the high school seniors and the junior college players deserve and need. It's what we need as coaches to be able to get out and assess these players in person. That, that's such a critical part of recruiting. Like I, I've made it a rule on our staff. I will not take a quarterback on scholarship if I've not seen them throw in person. Like, I don't want to do that. So I, we need to be able to get out to their game. We need to be able to get out and watch them warm up for a game or into their spring practices or something because I don't want to take these quarterbacks without seeing them throw in person. It's it's amazing how much you can be deceived by film or stats. And we need in our recruiting process to see these players live. You take any satisfaction that when you had Fessy Sataki, Weber State was the first one to recognize Zach Wilson's greatness? Absolutely we do. Yeah, I mean, Fessy had loved Zach from 
for a long time. And I had known Zach Wilson when he was coming to Utah football camps when he was six years old. And to watch that kid progress and become what he did was awesome. And then, you know, to have Fessy love him so much in high school and to see what he became, um, you know, that's he's still probably my favorite quarterback I've ever seen in person live, you know, in the recruiting process. I loved him that day we had him in camp. So I'm curious, when did you look at him and see an NFL player? Because I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but you and Cougar fans, there might have been a little back and forth on yeah. him and BYU season. Well, and I, I get that. <laughs> um, and I think he's going to be a good pro. I really do because he's got, he's got arm talent, he's athletic, and, and he wants to be great. Uh, but, yeah, the day we had him in camp, this was going into his senior year. The day we had him in camp, there was no doubt in my mind that he was going to be a phenomenal player. Uh, and, and he showed all those things that particular day. Good, fast, clean release, good arm strength, mobility. He was athletic. Now, d- did we know at the time that he was going to be an NFL guy? Absolutely not. Anyone who says that they knew it at that point is lying to you. But he had all the tools to become that. Do you, have, you ever wonder in recruiting, and you obviously you give a strong endorsement on Zach Wilson, why sometimes people are under-recruited, why they're over-recruited? I mean, how does that work? Well, recruiting's not an exact science. We all know that. You're going to hit on some and you're going to miss on some. Um, even the best recruiters are right probably three out of four times, so that means they're missing one out of four, and that's the really good ones. Um, but there's certain things that you're looking for, like we were in Zach Wilson and, and some of these other kids that some coaches see and some coaches don't see it as well as others. You know, that that particular year, I don't know exactly what was out there, but who knows, maybe everybody's looking for the the big-armed 6'4 guy that Zach's not. Zach was probably a six one and a half, skinny, 175 pounds in high school, and they might have been looking for someone bigger, but... We at our level have to look for those kind of bodies that are going to grow into what, they, what he has become. How many Mountain West Conference talent-level players do you think you were able to land at Weber State recruiting during the pandemic? Most of our class last year I thought was Mountain West caliber. Uh, we were able to up the level of player um, that, we, that we did get. I just, I just think those kids, especially the ones in the state of Utah, were top-notch, big-time guys. We signed a corner out of Texas that just ran 10-5. Um, I mean, he's going to come to Weber State as one of the fastest guys we've ever had. It just elite-level kids that didn't get signed last year that I think will be phenomenal players for us. Yeah, I was thinking like a kid like Noah Kerr, a corner, who I think led the country in receiving, and you're able to scoop him up. Yeah, Noah's going to be a great player. Spoke to him last night on the phone, and he just ran. He ran in the ten sevens this year in track. And I mean, the the reality is the football in the state of Utah continues to get better. And a, a player like a Noah Kerr is going to come into our program and be a phenomenal player uh, because he's got what it takes to be great. He's tough, hard worker. And he's got great hands, runs great routes, has been coached since he was a little tyke from his dad. I mean, he's going to be a great player. Except his dad is sort of obnoxious, isn't he? (laughs) Uh, Well, I can't say that because i got to recruit that school for many years to come. (laughs) It's almost miraculous the way this happened, but your football schedule on a flyer appeared in front of me shortly after you sat down. Uh, That's that's crazy the way that works. Yeah, I'm looking at the schedule here, and the first thing I noticed, six road games, and you've got 
Three of them are in state. You're going to SUU, you're going to Dixie State, and you got the opener at Utah, obviously. Plus the Idaho State game, you got four bus trips. How much do you like a schedule when you don't get on airplanes? How valuable is that? Well, I actually like the bus trips. It's a great time for our players to be together. It's a great time to bond. Um, I really like the road trips. Now, you don't want to take the, you know, the 10-hour ones, but <laughs> these ones are awesome, and I like them. Um, but, you know, the, the part, part of the greatness of college football is travel, and I don't mind a couple bus trips. Four is the most we've ever taken, though. Yeah. If you need a little insight into Corner Canyon, you just let me know because I sleep with somebody who uh, teaches there. Okay, I can't wait, and uh, I need you to be just massaging Weber State with all those high-level kids there, <laughs> and her doing the same. Wear the purple. Wear the purple all the time. Yep, I agree. All right, Will, Jay, we appreciate a few minutes. We know you have to go out there and just start lacing those 300-yard drives down the middle of the fairway. Make the magic happen. Can't wait. I'm going to go do it. All right. There See it you is. guys. Jay Hill, Weber State football coach, joining us here. We're at the Ogden Country Club. Weber State with their annual golf tournament, and uh, carts are all lined up. People are getting here, getting ready to go on a uh, fabulous, fabulous day. It was a little cloudy earlier this week, a little gray, but not today. Blue, sunshine, looks like an awesome day for golf. DJ and PK, more on the way. David Locke is here to talk NBA playoffs at 9 o'clock on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Sam Amick of The Athletic. Let's start with what you saw in Game 2 and how the Jazz adjusted. They hit their trees, which is something that didn't happen in Game 1. Yet again, we get reminded that sometimes in the playoffs, you can't count on trees like you could during the regular season. That was fun to watch. Donovan, like, being on a shelf for more than a month and then obviously being disappointed and frustrated that he didn't get to play in Game 1. If you didn't know any of that backstory, but then you watched the way he competed in that first quarter, like, you probably could have guessed, man, there's something different going on with this guy. Like, he was on one, and it was fun to watch him try to check Dylan Brooks and send a message like our big dog is back and you can stop trying to bully us. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7 presented by Big O Tires the team you trust on 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you in part by Christian Roberts Mortgage if you're going to work with an expert for your next home loan you need to connect with the most preferred lender in Utah Christian Roberts Mortgage they specialize in jumbo loans. DJ PK broadcasting live right now from the Ogden Country Club Weber State's golf tournament getting ready to get underway. Colton Swan joins us. Colton, you feeling a little red? You feeling a little purple? Yeah. What's going on here? I don't know. What is what do you, when you mix red and purple? I don't know what you get right now, but I'm probably get, one of those colors. You get Colton Swan. Yeah, That's, right? what yeah. That's what you get. That's what you get. So I want to know, Colton, how does a guy who goes to Weber State on a rodeo scholarship right. end up being the linebackers coach for University of Utah? Uh, you know what? I was, so I grew up in that lifestyle and, um, I was fortunate enough to get a rodeo scholarship. Uh, had the opportunity to walk on at Weber state doing football. And in my mind, I had it mapped out. I was going to be able to do both. Um, uh, D Pickett was kind of a guy, I don't know. He played uh, for Boise state a lot and I kind of had him in mind thinking I was going to do the same. And then I walked in in August in fall camp and, 
found out quickly how much time it took to to do football and I thought you know what there's no way I can do both especially if football's uh, the direction I want to go and right from there I just kind of devoted all my time towards football and and told rodeo you know what I'll visit you later just because I know in rodeo there's a lot of professional things that you can do you know after you get done playing football so I kind of set that aside and and, uh, that was my mindset kind of going into the whole deal coming out of high school so before we get to the football I'm curious having grown up in rural San Diego County people don't know that is nobody goes where I grew up Uh but but I was in 4-H and I was at the Lakeside Fair and I was so I didn't do rodeo but I knew people who did and I watched it what part of it do you love? What part of it do you hate? You like to ride the Buck and Bronx. You yeah. like to. Were you the one who was you uh, mutton busting when you were three years old because <laughs> the parents got you started with that? How yeah, did that work? that's that's when your parents need entertainment. They put you on that on that lamb and and put you out there and you know laugh at you as you eat crap and stuff. So, yeah, growing up, that's what it was like. Um, you know, my probably my favorite events were all the timed events, calf roping, team roping, steer wrestling. That's what I kind of uh, specialized in. Um, I would say out of those three events, I was best at the steer wrestling. Uh, uh, people call it bulldogging or steer wrestling. And uh, I was probably best at that just maybe because of size and strength. Uh, really, to, to this day, though, however, I still compete in the team roping. It's a little easier on older guys. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's so fun, timed events, and uh, kind of stayed away from the rough stock a little bit. Uh, did it at, in my younger years, but uh, stayed away from it. So as a guy who walked on, you know, obviously you had to overcome some odds and, and have a whole lot of heart and stuff to be able to make it. Do you think that helps you in recruiting and identifying players that really will give you everything that they have? Yeah, I think that's yes. That's a really good question. Um, as we all know, recruiting is not a science. However, us as coaches and recruiters are trying to turn it into a science uh, with all the logistics and height and speed and you know all all the little things that you can measure. Um, but the one thing that's hard to measure is is the heart. And uh, I think that's really, at the end of the day, what makes a good player. Um, you know, if you can find the kid that has the size and the speed and, and, and then has the heart to go with it, that's when you're, you know, hitting home runs uh, in recruiting. Um, and, and being that type of kid that I was coming through that progression, I think that really has helped me. Um, you know, I was just talking with another coach uh, earlier this morning just on what it takes for recruiting and, and the heart part of it is a really big um, facet that you don't uh, take in. A lot of people don't take in mind. Uh, you know, they look at, at your size and height and speed and, and uh, how many offers you have and stuff like that. But they don't look at the motivation and the drive and the heart that the kid has. And I think if you, if you do uh, your homework and look at that, then you can really knock it out with a, with a good kid. When Kevin O'Connor was running the Jazz, I remember him talking about going on the road for conference tournaments and the NCAA tournament, and he said, yeah, I can watch a lot of games on TV. He says, but they don't show you everything on TV. He says, Mm -hmm. I want to see how a kid talks to his coach and how he goes to the scorer's table before he checks in. Mm -hmm. I want to see when he comes out, how he interacts with his teammates on the bench, what level of respect he has for assistant coaches and team managers on the bench, 
all that stuff matters. Are you watching all that when you're at high school games as kids, like how they go on and off the field and yeah, interact? Yeah, 100%. Mannerisms, uh, big time. You know, are they when they're getting hard coaching, how are they responding to it? You know, are they smirking at, uh, you know, coaching? Are they How are they handling situations when they're down, when they're up? You know, um, yeah, when things get tough, you look at all those little – uh, facets and mannerisms that those kids possess, and, and that shows a lot of what they are internally. So who's the second best linebacker in a Pac-12? Because I think I know who you think the number one kid is. <laughs> I tell you what, I am very fortunate. I was talking with some scouts yesterday about my linebacking core, and, man, I am really, really fortunate with uh, the two kids that I've got right now, um, Devin Lloyd and Nephi Sewell. And to answer your question, hands down, uh, I think Nephi Sewell is – is right there uh, with Devin Lloyd, um, and I think they're the top two in the in the Pac-12. Um, so very fortunate as a coach, and I've got a lot of young kids coming in that are really good players as well. So the depth is awesome. So <clears throat> when Utah first went to the Pac-12, the D line was pretty good, and the secondary was pretty good, and everybody's like, "What is wrong with linebackers? Mm-hmm. Why can't they put that together? Who wouldn't want to play behind that defensive line?" Right. Now. You use that in recruiting. You maybe got some transfers that kind of helped you bridge that. And then you started recruiting younger guys. And you and now nobody ever says anything bad about Utah linebackers. And it's been that way for a while. Right. But I'm curious how much you still deal when you're dealing with scouts because it's true they do get to play behind an elite D-line. Even when the second string D-line comes in, they're playing behind elite guys who are going to end up in the NFL. So maybe they look a little better than they are. Mm. Are scouts worried about that, yeah. actually? No, I, I, I think they are knowledgeable enough to know and look at um – you know how well the kids move and how well they run um you know no doubt about it we've got a great defensive line that we uh play behind and and that is definitely a recruiting tactic as a linebacker you want to be as free as possible to scrape from sideline to sideline and make as many plays as possible so those defensive linemen you know they're occupying a lot of offensive linemen that we don't have to deal with um that you may at a different school um so you know to, to answer the part about the scouts i just i think they kind of look at um you know how smart you are how well you know the defense how well you run you know we have to take on offensive linemen no doubt about it it's not it's not every play that uh, we're scot-free uh we play a hard-nosed type of linebacker type play we're very fast and physical we get downhill uh we led the conference in you know tfls and and so that tells you that you know we we trigger quickly uh on runs and um you know we're we defend the pass very well so uh you know the D line is is it is what it is, and it's amazing. It's nice to be behind. So mm-hmm. to you know to hear your point about you know recruiting, it definitely helps in that regard. Telling you, hey, you want to you want to come to Utah and, and be free and scrape and you know have a lot of tackles, and this is the spot for you. So for years in spring ball, Kyle used to have it just totally open. Media can come every practice, all practice, and if the weather was good, the fans could go up along the fence there. But obviously this past spring ball, everything was shut down. Nobody could see it. So we're longtime media members. We didn't see one second of spring ball, which is the first mm-hmm. time since I've been here. So I didn't get to see Charlie Brewer at all. And I realize you're the linebacker coach and not a quarterback expert. But mm-hmm. could you tell us what you saw in him? 
I, I have a uh, great respect for Charlie Brewer, uh, for him to come in. Uh, it's, it was a different system they ran at Baylor uh, and that Coach Ludd runs at Utah. And so for him to come in and adapt to our system and to handle what he handled, I was uh, a really, really impressed. Great respect for him. Uh, he has all of the mechanics that you're looking for. Uh, he's, he's smart. His accuracy is great. He can spin the ball really, really well. Uh, he sees it. He gets the ball out quick. Um, so uh, I have a lot of respect for, for him and what he showed in the spring. Colton Swan joining us, linebacker coach at the University of Utah. I'm curious because there's rules on hitting and when quarterbacks can go live. But for any Ute fan or any local media member who has gone on YouTube and watched some clips of Jaquin and Jackson, I couldn't help but think of Eric Weddle. <laughs> running the wildcat and thinking we know how much guys transfer we know guys want to be part of the team and feel like they're contributing and i look at jackson's high school tape and i think he's gonna run the wildcat this year do you see him as a it's not your job to coach him i know but as a linebacker coach you evaluate oh, running down quarterbacks. No doubt. You know when a quarterback <laughs> uh, like him is in, and you've got to know that he can pull the ball at any minute, whether he's trying to pass it, he pulls it down and scrambles, or whether they have a designed QB run game. Uh, he definitely opens up a lot of different things. Um, and, you know, that's what makes a good offensive coordinator is taking a guy like him and finding ways to use him. Uh, and we all know that Coach Ludwig is, is the master at that. And so, you know, I would be, I would not be surprised if, if we – you know, see him in those facets. So recruiting Colton is opening back up here in a few days. How's it going to be for coaches in terms of balancing going out on the road, but also kids taking official visits onto your campus? Yeah, it's definitely going to be different. That's for sure. Uh, you know, we're opening things back up. Um, it'll be nice, you know, to get back out on the road and get some evaluations in and have kids actually come to campus. Uh, it'll be nice when that new stadium gets done to be able to show those kids that. Um, uh, really looking forward to it because we've just been neglected with, you know, not having these abilities to go out and, and look at kids. And so uh, it's nice that we can, we can take this opportunity. Okay. How much are you going to miss that old locker room? <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to take a tour in the new facility no, there. No. Oh, my gosh. When you do, it'll blow you away. And when we took the tour, it you know was just in the works of it. And, oh, my goodness, wow, that's an amazing facility. That's going to help with recruiting and fan base and the energy in that stadium. It's unbelievable. So, really, at that point, that was the one thing that was lacking compared to uh, other your the teams that you're competing against because this arms race and facilities kids want new and shiny objects now so the point being for you as a coach with this stadium expanded and the locker room is going to be up to snuff we've been in the football facility and that's a one no doubt about that so basically the point being you guys as coaches pretty much have everything you need now to go out there is that accurate yeah no question no question you got to at the end of the day you got to win games uh, you have to win games. Kids want to be a part of a winning program, a winning tradition. That's what Utah's done over the years. Uh, they, we've proved it uh, in how many wins we've had. And uh, But the, the faci- facilities and everything that these kids have access to is, is like you said, A1. Colton Swan joining us, Utah linebacker coach. We are very curious with the transfer portal, mm. what that is doing to team building. It is becoming 
so transactional. And it's not just a football thing. We're seeing it in basketball, too. And I'm wondering, everybody wants to play, but everybody also wants to be part of a team. Mm -hmm. But when everybody's coming and going, how do you build those relationships? When you're playing at Weber State and you're the walk-on, your teammates know your story. Mm -hmm. Who's this guy? Mm -hmm. Oh, rodeo guy. Is he really into football or not? How much film is this guy going to watch? How hard does he work in the weight room? Over time, they get to know you. How does that work now? It's definitely has changed. It's you bring up a great, great question, great point. It's the transfer portal, in my opinion, is as uh, made teams older, you know, it's maybe taken away a little bit from the high school kids uh, in all the direction that you want to go uh, as a team, uh, maybe taken away from culture like you talk about, you know, how does how do kids know you, you know, how do kids understand the culture, you know, as freshmen, you get that introduced right away and those kids build it through their four or five years that they're there. But, you know, you get a kid that's a senior and he's already, you know, gotten his mind what he wants to do and, and he's coming in and looking for a starting spot and stuff like that so there's a lot of different uh, things that go into that transfer portal uh, in my opinion it's, it's helped the kids um, find different spots to be able to play uh, it's nice to have it where now they can one-time transfer without penalty and so um, but it's it's definitely changed the dynamic in recruiting 100 percent you just got to decide what you want to do as as a football team and as a coaching staff do we want to recruit from the transfer portal do we want to still take those high school kids um you know, you can kind of look at it like the NFL. You got the you got the draft that builds and and drives most of your team, but then you got this um, you know the the trades that you can do and, and kind of patch different uh, parts of your team to help you. So Kyle Woodingham comes off as a tough guy, but I think it's basically an act. How much have you seen the softer side of Coach Whittingham? Uh, I don't know if you see a softer side of Coach Whittingham. That's a, I don't know if you do, but he's, he's an amazing coach. Wow, I've been super, super impressed with my time being around him. I've learned a ton. Um, he's top-notch, uh, 100%. And, you know, I mean, everything that he has record-wise is longevity. I mean, it all speaks for itself. He's just an amazing man and amazing coach, and, and I've learned a, a ton from him. But would you want him on your steer roping team? No. That, you know what I would take Coach Witt as? I would take Coach Witt as my bulldogging partner, my steer wrestling partner, because I don't know. He's in the 60s, low 60s somewhere age, and he freaking looks like he can tear the head off of a steer. <laughs> yeah, he's tough, tougher than Nels. I love it. He would just look at the steer and point at oh, him. Oh, yeah, and that steer would fall over. Steer would just tip oh, over. Oh, yeah, he's, he's tough. He's like a golden retriever. <laughs> Sick. I tell you, I, you know what I would do for him to, in steer wrestling? You got the actual steer wrestler that jumps off the horse. I would be the other guy that's what they call the hazer. I'd be the hazer that's yet running down and lining the steer out and yelling at the steer wrestler to get down and get, get tough, and, you know, I'm that guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Colton, we appreciate a few minutes. Absolutely. Good luck in the golf. Golf tournament day. Go out there and crush it. Thank you. Thanks Colton, for having me. Colton Swan, Utah linebackers coach, joining us here. We're at Weber State's golf tournament. He's a former Wildcat, a walk-on Weber State. Got a lot of Wildcat fans, a lot of purple out here now. Uh, as people get ready, they'll be teeing off in a few minutes. We've got David Locke joining us in a few minutes to talk NBA playoffs, Jazz and Memphis, Game 3, Saturday night. Stay with us. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Number one.
Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by ARUP. Join Hans and Scotty today from 10 to 2 at ARUP, 9786 South, 500 West in Sandy. Come on in, donate, save a life, donate some blood. You will receive a gift card and Utah Jazz gear for your donation. ARUP needs your help. They need a lot more blood on the long weekend. It's really critical now. So Hans and Scotty today from 10 to 2 at ARUP, 9786 South, 500 West in Sandy. Well, PK, the question of the day looms in front of us. The Jazz, game three in Memphis. Jazz got a win on the road now. What are you worried about? What is stressing you out? And for Jazz fans, Chippianitis says, hey, it's basketball playoffs. Seven-game series, the best team usually wins. The Jazz record means nothing in the playoffs so you don't play all 48 minutes. They know that. They've got the best record, so in the seven-game series, then they ought to be okay. Well, the best team doesn't win. The better team wins. So I'm on a mission to make sure my fellow Utahns learn proper grammar. So I think the better team does win more often than not. I'd be interested to see if we did a study what we perceived as the better team going into a series actually loses. I think that the high, high percentage, way more than home court and this and that, and home court wins 72% of the time or whatever, I do think that the percentage would be higher on the perceived better team. And the Jazz, I perceive them to be better. So I have that in this situation here. But I think it's important that they come out and establish themselves on that because the, to an extent, you know, maybe not Valanciunas, but John Morant's a young buck, right? And he's sort of feeling his way in this league. And what level of star can he be? Can he be a Steph Curry star? Or is he going to be like a Mike Conley star? You know, Mike Conley was a very good player for Memphis for many years. But I don't think he'll go down as the upper elite when it's said and done uh, in his NBA career. Right, Steph Curry, when he's done, he's going to go down at that level. So in my mind, Moran has already established himself as a star. But what level of star? And the point I'm making is, boy, you don't really want him to feel his oats now and think, I am just absolutely invincible and nobody can stop me. Because then he becomes even more dangerous, and their team will feed off of it, and their crowd will feed off of it, and then the task gets very difficult. So find a way to keep him under control to some degree and not allow him to do what he's been able to do so far. He's already got a lot of confidence, no reason to give him any more, and a second win in Game 3, I would think that would just load them up with confidence. Uh, that whole scenario you talk of right there, the Jazz want no part of that. Got to take right. the lead in the series of Game 3. Uh, Tim yes. is coming at Tim Utes for Life says, what am I worried about with Donovan back? Nothing. Talent Sweet. advantage. Unguardable, opens the floor for everybody else. Keep Donovan out there. Tennis coming. Tim Utes for life. Believes the Jazz are in good shape. And I got to say, you and I both agree with him, don't we? 
at that point, they got more talent. I do talent. believe they're, they're in the better good shape, team. yeah. yeah. All right, so. David Locke, coming up next. We'll see what he thinks. Stay with us.